We are talking beans today with Scott Bales. He's a researcher at Michigan State University, and he works hand-in-hand with the Michigan Bean Commission here in the state. Scott, good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning, Terry. I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Fantastic. With weather like this, uh, life is good, don't you think? I mean, we're into spring right now, aren't we? You know, it certainly feels like that. When this all started here, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago when things started looking a little nicer, you know, I was always wondering how long it was going to last. But, you know, now that we're into this, it, it certainly does feel like spring. Now, you mentioned to me here just a little bit ago that uh, you were up picking up picking up seed already this morning. And uh, on the drive back, you're seeing a lot of tractors in the fields, huh? That's for sure. It looks like we're getting some field work done. I know last week we were able to, to host a, an in-person meeting and, you know, sit down and talk with some growers. Um, and they were they were getting itchy to get out. And, you know, I think with this continued sun and dry weather, uh, that's, that's finally happening for sure. Now, uh, did you have a chance to talk to them at all about some of the uh, latest research, Scott, that you've been doing? Yeah, certainly. Um, so each year we host, uh, we call it a, a roundtable discussion meeting. Um, and that really focuses around grower production practices, you know, how they've evolved over time and, and tries to really plan out the trajectory of, of where we're headed. Um, and a big portion of that is always discussing, you know, current and future research um, and trying to, to forecast where we need to be um, on that moving target. So where are we right now? Yeah, so right now, currently, the Michigan Bean Commission is you know, kind of stayed with our, our primarily focus of, you know, variety research and variety development. Um, that's been a mainstay of the commission's research program for, for well over 50 years now. Uh, but we've also really taken a heavy focus into, you know, fertility and nutrient management um, in relation to dry bean systems. What is the research indicating to you right now, Scott? Yeah, so that research, you know, specifically around fertility, um, and variety as well, um, shows that we've had some, some really great advancement um, of the industry, you know, especially across the last 10 years. Um, when we look at the, you know, the current varieties that we now have and, and what our yield potential has done, um, you know, in combination with the, the level of fertilization that we're putting on these beans, um, you know, and we've really optimized that system to, to tune things into where we need to be to fuel that plant. Um, and produce a, a high-quality crop, um, it's, it's truly exciting where we're at from uh, just level of productivity um, as well as from a sustainability aspect. Um, you know, we've been fertilizing dry beans with, you know, a grower average of, you know, 40 to, to 60 pounds of nitrogen for, for a long time now. Um, has, that's remained relatively stable, uh, but we continue to see these yields continue to trend up. Um, so it's it's showing that we're doing more with less, and, and that's always a good thing for, for both our bottom line and our environment. Well, especially now with some of these input costs uh, skyrocketing in some cases or up substantially, producers, even though the price that they're getting for their crop is a little bit better, I'm just wondering, are we offsetting? Uh, we, we've got a higher price right now, but uh, these input costs uh, with their escalation are we actually making less money or can we keep that uh, that margin good for our producers as an incentive to grow more beans right and those are there's are great points um you know there's a lot of you know relative uncertainty of of what the pricing is going to do in the fertilizer market 
Um, and I think that's where, where dry beans are, you know, on the optimistic end of that spectrum. Um, you know, we've shown through some different practices, you know, especially when we start looking at, you know, cover crop integration into systems and, and really keeping a, keeping an eye on what our residual end levels are in those soils, you know, in our rotation that, you know, oftentimes we don't need a whole lot of nitrogen fertilization, you know, to our bean crop. Um, and beans are notoriously good scavengers of P and K. Um, and still able to produce that, you know, high level of yield with some, you know, prices that are, are definitely a little helpful uh, to that conversation as well. Um, I, I think we're in a good spot to, you know, remain profitable and as well as very productive. As I understand it, there is quite a market for the product. And as I also understand it, the research is continuing as far as new types of dry beans. Uh, what have we seen just within the past five years, Scott? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so over the past five years, um, the, the commission's taken kind of a, a multifaceted approach to that. So one of the big focuses has been on, you know, marketing to consumers, um, as well as looking at some different uses of dry beans. Uh, one of those has been flour, um, looking at milling our dry beans into flour to, to allow us access into, you know, different markets and into pasta and different dishes that we don't necessarily think of dry edible beans a part of um, but that's been a, a really exciting uh, new frontier for us in the bean world um, as well as you know some some research into different classes and some maybe more niche markets and and really trying to expand the footprint of Michigan beans. As far as the nutrition goes for the dry beans are there any varieties that require a little bit less a little bit more or is a bean a bean? Well, that's another great question. And, and a lot of that depends on, you know, at least in my opinion, you know, what our production systems are. You know, we see kind of the big difference, um, at, at least in dry beans from, you know, the irrigated sands, I think of being west of 127, uh, where we see a lot of kidney bean production. Um, a lot of it's still pulled and harvest. Um, you know, very good production on those irrigated sands. And sometimes we need a little more fuel for that crop, it seems. Uh, that, that cation exchange capacity in those soils is, is generally a bit lower. Uh, but when we come back over to the the other side of the valley, you know, I, I usually take a, a pretty standard approach uh, across our standard market classes from, you know, blacks to navies to small reds and pinots and great northerns. I noticed that uh, there's a lot more emphasis on wheat here in Michigan because of a number of reasons. One in particular, the price is pretty good. But um, a lot of folks over the years have always relied on the field of dry beans as the seedbed for the wheat in the fall. Is that still the case, or has soybeans kind of taken that over? Well, I definitely believe there's a lot of synergies between dry beans and wheat. Um, we know that the planting date of our wheat crop is one of those components that's really essential. You know, I, I believe there's some data from, you know, Dennis Pennington in Michigan State um, that says, you know, we're losing yield every day we pass track, that we go past October 1. Um, so I, I think when we look at those average harvest dates of our bean crop uh, versus soybeans, there, there's still a lot of benefit to looking at some of those shorter maturities for dry beans um, and allow those two crops to, to kind of work together to, you know, provide a, an overall benefit to the system. I know wheat has always relied on uh, the with the seed bed some of our organic material. 
Uh, do we have varieties of dry beans out there that seem to provide enough of that straw, enough of that coverage, enough of that organic material to have a good seed bed for wheat? Yeah, I would definitely think so, um, especially with some of the growth that, that we're able to see out of some of these newer varieties. You know, we've had some varieties. Um, Blackbeard is one that comes to mind. You know, it's an exceptionally tall black bean, you know, and, and it does produce a lot of straw um, come fall. Now, as far as the research farm out at uh, the Richville facility and some of the other research farms, but in particular Richville, what uh, have we seen over the past 12 months with the different varieties of dry beans there? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we kind of do focus on two facilities, uh, the major one being, you know, this Richville facility that we call the Saginaw Valley Research and Extension Center. You know, I still often call it by its old name as the Bean and Beet Farm. Um, as we do have a big focus here on, you know, beans and beets. Um, and this is where my office is located at um, here in Richville. Um, this farm has kind of really been the ground zero, so to speak, for both the MSU breeding program um, as well as a lot of Michigan Bean Commission research. You know, focused with our, our different specialists, the, the names we know from campus, you know, Kurt Steinke, you know, working in soil fertility, and Christy Sprague working in weed control, um, and now we have Francisco Gomez, who is our new, brand-new Michigan State dry bean breeder, um, who has replaced Dr. Jim Kelly in his retirement. So these facilities are, you know, really, really essential to this work and are, are second to none, you know, around the state and around the region. Um, another location that is really used by both myself and the breeding program is our Montcalm uh, Research Farm over in Entrican. Um, I mentioned those, you know, irrigated sands that we often see kidney bean production on, um, and that's the the location we utilize for that. Um, it's definitely a different environment than we have here in Richville, uh, but having these two resources for for both of our programs has really been pivotal in the success of the Michigan bean industry. You mentioned Dr. Kelly and uh, his retirements and uh, the new person coming in. Are we skipping a beat at all, or are we right on focus? I believe we're right on track. Um, Dr. Kelly was able to work uh, with Francisco in that transition here over the past growing season. Um, They've retained a lot of their technical staff um, as far as field technicians um, go, and that's really helped Francisco hit the ground running, you know, with the materials that that Dr. Jim Kelly, you know, had in his pipeline and really was able to to talk him through that first growing season and, and allowed them to work together. So I think of that as a really seamless transition, um, you know, often very similar to what myself had with Greg Varner um, in the 2019 growing season. So I, I think there's a lot of synergies there to that, you know, overlap and transition for, for both of us. I'm just kind of curious, uh, in the upcoming months, are we as individuals going to be able to stop by the research farm and see some of these new varieties in action? Yeah, so that's the hope as we come up. Um, as far as, you know, nothing's for certain, um, as we find with a lot of things that's, you know, COVID-related. Uh, but I believe administration's, you know, actively reviewing things as we move forward to to hopefully have somewhat more of a normal, um, you know, extension or, or field touring season here at the farm. Um, and that's all very, you know, dependent on, on what the situations do. But as we see vaccines roll out and hopefully case numbers come down, um, hopefully that's something that we can see. Um, one thing that, that we want to keep on the radar, too, is our, you know, 
county variety trial tours that we do. Um, sometimes they're referred to as twilight tours as we do them around the region in early September. Um, we'll definitely be looking to, to make sure we keep those running um, in 2021, um, be able to get out to those on-farm sites and take a look at those varieties you know, in your own backyard. I think a lot of growers really miss those meetings, uh, and I have to think that you do too, right? Oh, certainly. Um, you know, we've learned a lot about what we can do on, you know, through Zoom platforms and, and, you know, oftentimes, you know, touch growers or, you know, maybe it's uh, bringing in extension people from out of state. And there's a, there's a lot of benefits to that. But, you know, a lot of times we miss that, you know, cup of coffee and a group meeting, too. Um, there's there's perks to both sides. And I'm excited to get back to somewhat more of a, a normal setting. So getting back to the different varieties and the research farm, uh, right offhand, how many new varieties, so to speak, new, uh, can we see at the research farms when they finally open up? Yeah, so just to to speak on my end, last year I tested 148 different lines um, across 10 different market classes. You know, oftentimes we don't have those all in the same spot, so to speak, is, you know, we have some different genotypes that you know, will split between here and the Montcalm farm. Um, but there's definitely uh, a wide assortment of, you know, different varieties and different traits, you know, that different breeding programs are, are working through uh, to bring us to those commercial varieties that we see. You know, oftentimes for, for black beans, for example, we tested 30 lines last year. Twelve of those would have been lines that are, you know, commercially available today, uh, meaning you can, you know, call your seed dealer and ask for it, and he may or may not have it, but he knows what you're talking about. Um, the remainder would be experimental lines that are still breeder seed that, you know, we're looking at for adaptability and disease resistance and, and seeing if they're a good fit for our production systems here in Michigan. Uh, so overall, we, we have really have a wide footprint in the variety um, development scene. So if I wanted to uh, possibly plant a, a new variety this year, how would I go about uh, getting seed for that variety? Yeah, so I always recommend taking a look at our Michigan Dry Bean Performance Trials. Um, those are available on the Michigan Bean Commission's website. Um, if you hit Growers and Dealers, the first tab would be Research, um, and you'll find it there. Um, and that really highlights those trials I discussed, you know, giving us you know, our, each of our county locations with the associated yield data um, and names of some of these varieties, new ones included. And if we find, you know, one that really stands out to us, uh, a few pages back in that report, we do have a sourcing tab um, that indicates, you know, who the the proprietary breeder was of that seed and can allow you to, to contact the appropriate seed dealer to ask about availability. Again, I'm talking beans. I'm talking beans with Scott Bales. Scott, uh, if we want to get in contact with you, uh, how best to do that? Yeah, so the best way to, to get a hold of me is usually by my cell. Um, which I'll lob out here real quick, but you can also find it on the michiganbean.com website. Um, if you go to the you know About Us tab, there's a list of commissioners as well as myself and the executive director. Uh, but if you've got a pen ready, that number is 810-304-3698. Scott, thanks a lot for sharing. We really appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you, and it's always good to talk dry beans here in Michigan. I'm Terry Henney, and we've been talking beans with Scott Bailed.